Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. This chapter begins with the Lord speaking in regards to the kingdom of God. And verse 3 of the chapter tells us that He spake to them in parables. Sometimes we get really confused by something that is so very simple. And for those that had an open heart, those that had a willing ear, those that truly desired to have a right relationship with God, they listened, they heard, they understood, and for others, it was just a confusion. And they rejected him. In verse 44, we come to the, toward the end of these parables, seven that he makes mention of. And he says in verse 44 again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath. And buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. Last week, I spoke to you about the greatest pleasure from Psalms 37, verse 4, which says, Delight thyself in the Lord. The greatest pleasure in life is to find our delight in God. And the means whereby that we're able to, to please God, to delight God, is to delight in God. Some people have the idea that God is most delighted whenever we learn the most about Him, but a lot of folks that know a lot about the Bible who do not have any real joy and any real delight in the Lord Himself, and they miss the whole point of it. God wants a relationship with us. A relationship that creates within us a heart of delight. Delight in Him. Today, I want to speak to you about life's greatest treasure and we see that in these two parables. Now, as I said, there's a lot of confusion about parables, and I'm not going to go into the into details and give you all of the various views uh, related to these two parables that I've just read. And believe me, there are a lot of a lot of different views. If you want to get really confused, just get on Google and and, and you know and see what everybody says about it, and I'll guarantee you, you won't know a thing about it. You'll be so confused you don't know which ends up. What we, what we miss is the fact that when you're talking about a parable, a parable is intended to make one main point. And if we try to make every little detail of the parable mean something, we miss the point. 
It might sound, you know, like a preacher is really an intellectual giant sometimes whenever they take a parable and, you know, they try to make this little part mean this and that and they go into great detail. And it might sound impressive, but it's not always scriptural. And sometimes we get off on a tangent and we miss the point. So keep in mind, anytime that you're studying any parable, that parable is designed to make one main point, one central truth. And that's what we see here. What we learn from these two parables is that the kingdom of God is of great value. That it's worth more than anything else. It is life's greatest treasure. It's something that most people have never discovered. And the first thing we need to understand is, what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of heaven? Well, the phrase kingdom of heaven is used mostly there in Matthew, where Matthew is addressing the Jews, but also we read about the kingdom of God. And there's no difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They're both one and the same thing, just different terminology and both of them relate to the same thing, which has to do with God's rule. This is the present concept of the kingdom. I need to clarify that because there's coming a kingdom. One day, God's kingdom is going to be different than what it is now. But at the present, it's God's rule within, within the believers at any given time. It's God's rule within us. It's different than the family of God because the family of God, of course, everybody that is, you know, in the kingdom of God is in the family of God, but the family of God includes all those that have ever been saved, whether they're here on earth or in heaven. The kingdom of God has to do with us being in the family of God while we're here on earth, and it's Him. Remember, we're talking about a kingdom. It's a king... Ruling, as it were, over us. It's His rule within His believers. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. The Jews were all for a kingdom that would liberate them from the bondage of the Roman government. They would have made Jesus a king in a heartbeat. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. And when Jesus came and all of a sudden they realized that He's not here to set up an earthly kingdom at this time, all of a sudden they began to despise Him and reject Him. And even said, we will not have this man reign over us. And crucified Him. When Jesus was conversing with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, of course, being a ruler among the Jews, supposedly one of the most knowledgeable people of that day, one of the most respected people of that day. And yet he did not understand how a man enters into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, you you know, you're a ruler in Israel and you don't understand this, that a man must be born again. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Well, of course not. He missed the whole point. That salvation is a spiritual birth. It's not a new physical birth. Some people speak about salvation like it's a new start. Let me tell you, it's not a new start. You walk down the aisle and say, I've come to, I've come to trust Jesus as my Savior because I want a new start in life. 
It's more than a new start. It's a new heart. It's a new life. You become somebody you've never been before. It's a transformation out of the kingdom of darkness, Paul says, and into the kingdom of light. That's what salvation is. And that's why I say this is life's greatest treasure, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, knowing Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And the point of both parables is that it is more valuable than anything else. And naturally, that's why we should never let anything else keep us from it. We should not be distracted by anything in this world so as to not be attracted to the kingdom of God. Something, you know, that would keep us from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what a lot of folks are doing. They're blinded to their need because of the fact that they have been so distracted so dead set on pleasing the flesh, gratifying self, that they have no interest in spiritual things. Now, in the first case here, we find a fellow that goes out into a field. He's looking for a treasure. He finds a treasure, but he doesn't own the field. He finds the treasure, so he hides it, and he decides to go and to buy the field, and then whatever's in the field becomes his property. So he hides the treasure, he goes and he spends all that he has in buying the field in order to receive the treasure. In the second place, a man is looking for goodly pearls and he finds one pearl that is of great price, of such great price that he he gave all that he had in order to, to get it. And again, that's speaking about the value of the kingdom of God. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying that we pay for salvation. He's not saying that we pay to get in the kingdom of God. That's not the point. Becoming becoming a, a Christian, becoming a part of God's family is a free gift. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8 says, And as ye go, the Lord is sending these these disciples out on a mission. And he says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, how could he say that? Well, because the king was there, Jesus. Amen. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Notice, freely ye have received, freely give. Amen. In verse 15, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. You see, the poorest people on earth can receive the kingdom of God. He said in Luke chapter number 12, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God's not saying that you've got to go home, sell everything you've got in order to become a part of his kingdom. No, it's free. He's given it to us freely. Anyone can enter in. doesn't make any difference who you are or what you've done or what people think about you. Anyone can become a part of the kingdom of God. Anyone can receive that treasure, that pearl of great price that is of more value than anything else. The problem is that most people, that is the average person, they're so in love with their sin, whatever it is, 
They're so in love with their sin, so attached to that, they're, they're not willing to part with it. Many years ago, I was preaching a revival in Kansas City, and uh, the pastor and I had gone during the daytime out on visitation and went to this one fellow's house, and we sat there for, I don't know, maybe close to an hour speaking to him about his need of salvation. And the man, he had tears in his eyes, and it seemed like for sure that he was going to be saved. And when it come right down to the moment, are you willing to accept Christ as your Savior? And he said, no. He said, I'm not. He said, I need to explain something to you. He said, fellas, he said, I've got a refrigerator full of beer in there, and I love beer. And he said, I know if I become a Christian, I've, I've got to quit drinking. We tried to reason with him and help him to understand that salvation is a gift. Now, certainly, certainly a Christian ought to make some changes in his lifestyle. And God does make changes in our lifestyle. And I knew exactly what that man meant because that's what God had delivered me from, from alcohol. But as much as we tried to reason with him, it was so sad that we could never get him to understand that salvation is a free gift. You could Look, you could quit every sin that you can think of. You could reform your life to where, you know, everybody would would esteem you highly. And it would seem like that you're the most dedicated Christian in all of the county. You could do all of those things and even withdraw every penny from your bank account and bring it to the church and give every last cent you've got. You could do all of those things and die and go to hell. Because salvation is not something that we could earn from the Lord. If we could earn it, it would be no more by grace. If we could earn it, there would have been no reason for Jesus to suffer and bleed and die on the cross. That's why Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God, you see. And yet most people have this idea that I've got to give up this and I've got to give up that. What? Look, it's really not so much what they are afraid that they'll have to give up. The real problem is they, they realize that in becoming a Christian, you are placing yourself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible speaks about when we receive Him, it is not just Christ our Savior, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody receives Him as their Savior without acknowledging Him as their Lord. If He isn't your Lord, He isn't your Savior. There can be, there can be no part of His kingdom unless there's redemption and reconciliation. And the only way for that to happen, for us to be redeemed from our sins and reconciled to God is that we put ourselves under His reign, that we acknowledge Him as Lord of our life. Paul finally realized that. Saul of Tarsus, that's who he was before changing and becoming the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3, beginning there in verse 4, 
he begins by saying, if anybody had grounds to boast, if anything, if anybody had anything to brag about, he said, I've, I've got more than they do. Now, please understand that Paul is speaking out of deep humility and he makes these statements because of the fact that they have pressured him and backed him into a corner by, by calling him the least of all of the apostles. In other words, what they're saying is, at least some of them, you don't have to listen to him. You need to listen to Peter and James and John because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so he says, if anybody's got reason to boast, I am more than any. And he begins to list all of the things I don't have time to really explain the meaning of all of these, but I want you to listen to what he is saying he could boast about. He says he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And now each one of these phrases is packed full of meaning. Of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, he's not just an Israelite, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Notice, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Beyond that, as touching the law, he says, I'm a Pharisee. Boy, they're at the top of the list in that day. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Nobody could blame me for anything. I could hold my head high and I could brag about what a righteous man I am. But finally, when Paul realized the law said thou shalt not covet, he was smitten with guilt and realized he was a sinner. And notice what he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Amen. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Do you, do you get the picture? Paul is simply saying all of these things in my life that are held in such high esteem that are valued so greatly by others. He said, I had all of those things and I was nothing, absolutely nothing, until he realized his need to be born again and he trusted Christ. But notice, he said all of those things and he uses the word dung. I mean, he gets right down there as filthy as you can imagine. He says all of those things are like dung to me. Totally worthless. The point is, in light of the value of the kingdom of God, everything in this world is worthless. There's no comparison. It is the greatest treasure in life. The sad thing is a lot of folks don't understand the value of being ruled by Christ. I'm talking about the importance of living under His authority. Notice in verse 44 of our text, I want you to notice the word joy there. And I want you to think about what he's saying. Now, don't miss this. What he is saying is the loss of anything and everything isn't as bad or sad if it results in gaining Christ. Amen. The loss of anything and everything isn't bad and it isn't sad 
if it results in gaining Christ, becoming a part of the kingdom of God. Now I ask you, have you ever thought about being a Christian of that great importance? Is, 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 you know, generally when we think about it, somebody says, well, oh, I got, I got saved yesterday. It's wonderful. Whenever I die, I'm going to heaven, you know, and it's a, uh, it's a really a good deal. I'm, you know, and it's on with the rest of their life. That's all it means to them is just, you know, a fire escape to keep them out of hell and get them into heaven. That's all they think about. They don't think about it as being the greatest treasure of all. Without Christ, there is no salvation. Without Christ, there's no security. Without Christ, there's no satisfaction. Now, throughout the entirety of this message so far, I've intentionally hid my outline because sometimes we think, you know, that the outline is what you know, really gets people's attention and helps them take it step by step. But sometimes fiddling with an outline can confuse people, and I've just intentionally ignored that. But I want to remind you of all that I've said so far. Number one, starting with defining the kingdom. We've talked about that. Defining the kingdom. So the rule of Christ within believers at a given time here on this earth. We talked about distractions from the kingdom of God. Many people are more attracted to the things of the world than they are the kingdom of God. We talked about desiring the kingdom of God, discovering the kingdom of God, delighting in the kingdom of God. But we need to think about our devotion to the kingdom of God because having discovered the kingdom of God, everything in our life ought to revolve around God's kingdom because that's what matters most. It's only natural, don't you think, that we find our greatest pleasure in our greatest treasure. Our greatest pleasure in life. There's some people that are absolutely miserable in life, even though they've got everything under the sun and they're miserable, and it's because they're focused on something other than what's most important. And it's not a minor matter to be without joy in your life, because the joy of the Lord is your strength, the Bible says. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 6, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So our pleasure is in our greatest treasure. Now I could just stop right there. We could give an invitation, and I could make an appeal for everyone that's not a part of God's kingdom this morning to turn their back on everything in this world and say there's nothing more important to me than becoming a part of God's kingdom. But there's more to it than that. There's the matter of how do we demonstrate our devotion to the kingdom? I mean, how do we see any evidence of that? If you went out here on a busy street corner somewhere stopping every person and asking them, are you a Christian? Well, 50-some years ago when I started preaching, about 99% would say yes. Today, I'm, God only knows what people might say. But there'd be a good number of people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. 
How do you know you're a Christian? Well, my, my grandpa was. He's a deacon in a Baptist church, so I must be a Christian. Like one woman, literally, true story, told me, yes, I'm a Christian. I was born right here in America. I felt like saying, you know, you could be born on a mountain, but it wouldn't make you a billy goat. But I didn't. I was nicer than that because it was a serious subject. But people are so confused about this matter in regards to becoming a Christian. but And, and they profess to be, but there's no evidence that they are. I could make a long list, especially if we could go to that little letter of 1 John, and we could talk about all of the different marks, the evidences of being a Christian. It's all laid out right there for us to see. But I want to sum it up in keeping with our context. There's two things that jumps out at us that shows how we demonstrate our devotion to the kingdom of God. The first one that I see here is the extravagant. I'll use that word extravagant putting aside of all else. The man sold everything he had to buy the field. The other man gave all he had to get that one pearl. That's extravagant spending. Put everything else aside. And as I said before, you don't purchase salvation but until a relationship with Jesus Christ is more important to you than anything else, you'll never be saved. That's got to be the number one thing, the number one desire of your heart is to be right with God. And that brings us to the second characteristic, which is an energetic pursuit of God's will. In other words, if we're living in God's kingdom, that is, we're living under God's authority, most certainly we're going to be submissive to the will of God. Many of you could quote Matthew 6.33. Somebody do that. Amen. Seek ye what? First, really. Now think about that because there are a lot of professing Christians that are not seeking first the kingdom of God. There are some professing Christians that they don't even know what the kingdom of God is. But many who do that are not seeking the kingdom of God first, which is evidence that they're not a part of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But look, it doesn't stop there. The kingdom of God has to do with His rule over us. But then he adds, and his righteousness. So it's not only his rule over us, it's his righteousness within us. Are you with me? That's what the Bible says that we ought to do when we're members, as it were, of God's kingdom. He, he's the king. He's ruling over us. We have sought His kingdom. We've become a part of His kingdom. And now, the righteousness that has been imputed to us is imparted to us, and we begin to change. He begins to change us. The greatest treasure in all of the world is to be a part of God's kingdom, living your best for God. Let's take another survey out on the street. 
We'll just stop people at random and ask them, do you really, do you really want to be a happy, a joyful person? Do you, uh, satisfied in life? However you want to phrase it. Everybody would jump on that bandwagon. Everybody say, oh yeah, I, I sure do. And they think if they get season tickets, you know, to the Astros that they might get there, but that doesn't work. They think, you know, if I can just make a six-figure income, you know, I'll get there, but that doesn't work. And so they exhaust themselves in the things of this world trying to find something that satisfies and it never does work. And it never will. Verse 44, notice again these words. For joy thereof. Have you ever thought about joy being an incentive to trust Christ? You've heard preachers preach about how terrible hell is and that you need to be saved in order to, in order to miss hell. And others have preached about how wonderful heaven is and they say you need to be saved because heaven is wonderful and grandma is there and you want to be reunited with her. You need to be a part of God's kingdom so you'll miss hell and make heaven. Well, all of that's true, but notice, notice what the Lord says here. For joy thereof. In other words, because God wants you to experience life's greatest pleasure, He wants you to embrace life's greatest treasure. Because when you do that, it changes everything in your life. When God saved me, He gave my kids a new daddy and my wife a new husband. I've never been perfect at either one of them, but I'm a whole lot better than what I used to be for sure. And so is every Christian changed, transformed as a result of being a part of God's kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom has to do with His control over us. Seeking His righteousness has to do with God's character within us. As He begins to work out those changes. Matthew 22, verse 37. I want you to... These in some way can be said to be some of the most important verses in the Bible. Verse 34 says, And when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together, and then one of them, which was a lawyer, some big shot steps out of the crowd, and he asked him a question. Now that would be all right, except notice the next words, tempting him. They're trying to catch him, trap him in some way so that they can criticize him. And he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Believe me, those Pharisees could spend 24 hours straight debating that subject. They could go on and on and on, and God forbid if some philosopher ever stepped in the mix, and then it would really go on and on and on, because everybody's got some idea. So, although he doesn't realize it, he has come to the final authority on this matter, Jesus Christ. And he says, 
What is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto it. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself on these two commandments. Hang all the law and the prophets. Now why in the world would I even bring that up in this message here? Because we're talking about the fact that whenever a person is a part of God's kingdom, they're living under God's rule, it makes a difference in how we live our life, in everything about our life. And as I said earlier, a lot of times people make a profession, oh yeah, I'm a part of God's kingdom, He is my Lord. And you can think of 40, 11 different ways that they're not obeying Him. There's zero evidence that they've really been saved. So what are we really looking for? What is the most important? Somebody could say, sure, I'm a part of God's kingdom. I've got a perfect Sunday school record. I'm in church every week. I give even more than the tithe. And I show up at all of these special events. But what about the two most important things related to that? What? Loving God and loving others. Now, I'll guarantee you a lot of you thought, boy, here's another one of those messages, you know, it's just, you know, just for Christians and, and I mean, unsaved people. And it could very well be that. But let me tell you, whenever we think about the greatest treasure being the kingdom of God and we claim to be in it if we don't love one another there's a serious question mark as to whether we are really living our life under the rule under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ anybody can stand up and sing oh how I love Jesus that's easiest thing in the world anybody can do that it's another thing to love your neighbor like you love yourself Oh, that's the hard part. And to forgive those that have despitefully used you, abused you. How do you do that? You see, living the Christian life is, is, a, is an impossibility if it's all dependent upon us. But thank God it's not. Because whenever we are a part of God's kingdom... We have a greater authority working on our behalf. You see, you have no hope. Now listen carefully and I promise I'm through. You have no hope of ever being able to please God until you become a part of God's kingdom. And to do that, you have to live in submission to the king. And every professing Christian here ought to ask ourselves. Am I really living my life in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, none of us could say, yep, I'm doing that perfectly. None of us can do that. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. By the way, the Bible says David was a man that he had a perfect heart. Really? He was imperfect. He made a lot of serious blunders. 
But I'll tell you one thing you can't take away from him. He was a man that more than anything else wanted to please his God. It doesn't mean that you never fall, but it means that when you fall, though a righteous man is cast down seven times, the Lord gets him back up. That's the real evidence of salvation. We look at somebody and we think, you know, well, boy, they stumbled and they fell. They must not be a Christian. Let me ask you, did they get back up? Did they keep going? That's the real evidence. It's not whether or not you ever fall. The Bible even says Lot was a righteous man. Righteous Lot. You've got to be kidding me. He was so imperfect. But whether you believe it or not, he was a man that had a desire to please God because it says he vexed his righteous soul living there in Sodom. It tore his guts out inside. He couldn't stand the filth that he saw around him. And it was only by the grace of God and the power of God that God sent the angels that just escorted him out of that place. The greatest treasure in life is being a part of God's kingdom. Don't ever take that lightly. And those of us that receive it, we incur a great responsibility to prove it by the manner in which we live. Live a life that others cannot bring any indictable charges against you but it convinces them on the basis of your love for God and your love for others. It convinces them there goes a real Christian. Jesus is really the Lord of his life. Will you become a part of God's kingdom this morning? And if you are, let's all determine by the grace of God we're going to live like God's kids. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, I pray you'll bless your word this morning. I pray that you'll use it to speak to hearts. And Lord, there might be someone here this morning and they've tried all of their life to find something, some treasure that would bring, the, bring pleasure to their life. And yet every day they wake up and, and they're dissatisfied with life in despair of life sometimes. And, oh, Lord, I pray this morning that You'll help them to, to realize that You have provided for them indeed a great treasure that will bring them the pleasure that they've been longing for all of their life. May we, may we not reject it, but to say yes to Jesus and receive Him today and live for Him today. In His name we pray. Amen. Always say, Ah. Uh...